We have some scriptures in front of us today. The first lesson is from Genesis chapter 50. And this is going to serve as the basis for the sermon this morning. We are nearing the conclusion of the uh, long-told story of Joseph before we end the book of Genesis. And then there's like a period of time at, as, as Exodus later begins. So here in this account, you, you have to sort of keep in mind, and we'll talk about this, the long history, a long ago history, that Joseph and his brothers had t together. They tried to, um, well, they wanted to put him to death. They ended up first throwing him in a cistern where he was trapped, and then when some traders came by, they sold Joseph off. And this was years ago that all this harm was done to Joseph by his brothers. We'll explore this during the sermon. But here's where Jacob, Father Jacob, father of all these brothers, passes away, and the 11 are worried that Joseph is going to have it out for them now that dad's gone. Genesis chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know if any of you had gotten in any whitewater rafting over the summer. I didn't. I thought this was going to be the summer, you know. Uh, we had the COVID summer for our first one here. We had the second summer, which I can't remember either. And um, then we had this last summer, which was really busy, and I never made it whitewater rafting. I wanted to. I like whitewater rafting. I got to uh, learn the expression, you know, riding the bull. If you volunteer to, like, go sit on the front, you know, and then you can, like, get bucked off. That's my goal, is to have something propel me several feet. Adrenaline junkie over here. Um, Maybe. I don't, I've done it, I've, I, and I enjoyed it. If I end up in the river, you know, you, you, like, cross your feet so they don't get tangled around a rock, and you can, like, you know, put them forward and float your way downstream. But that's the illustration that I'd like to start with you today, is just this picture that no matter who you are or what's going on, you're always in a river. I, and what I mean by that is there's always something driving you. Something always is operating inside that's causing you to do the things you do, think the things you want to think, say what you say, making your priorities. There's always 
a motor. And lately, we've been talking about that crazy uh, split we have inside of us because of our sinful nature and the Spirit of God that are at war, that there's always these like options, like forks in the river, right? To, to be moved and go down this one where the sinful nature says, take the easy way, let's do this, this feels good and it serves me and I love to serve me, says a sinful nature. You know, selfish, self-oriented versus a way that's God-pleasing that maybe seems hard to me, um, lets people off the hook. Isn't that what forgiveness feels like so often? Oh, I'm supposed to forgive you and not just say it with words, but I'm supposed to forgive you from my heart and like not hold this against you, but I'm really hurt. And that fork in the road doesn't sound like something you want to go down the, the hard lane. It's much easier to keep a record of wrongs and pursue things that punish other people and keep these fresh memories in view. This story of Joseph and his brothers is like this classic example of probably relationships that would have become like so toxic, like they're so damaged, so many bridges obviously burned long time ago that there would be no patchwork. There would be no, oh yeah, quick to forgive. Yeah, I'll just, I will forgive you, says Joseph. You know, this would be the last story you might expect that to happen. And yet, it did. And it did in abundance. Like there was plenty of bridge building that Joseph had done with his brothers. So we're going to explore this story today because I think there's something quirky going on, or you could say quick, in Joseph's heart because he's living in a certain river. And today, you and I can learn by this word of God how to float in the same one. My brothers and sisters, when you and I talk about Joseph's life in this little microcosm at the end, Jacob has died and all the brothers begin anew to pull their hair out. You need to sort of see the whole. This is a hard sermon to preach because you haven't been reading from Genesis 37 to 50 to kind of remember all of the background and the backdrop of how we got here. But in order to do so, I want to start you in a, in a strange spot because that's what Scripture does. In chapter 37 of Genesis, you're introduced to the Jacob's line, and guess what's the first story you hear about in Joseph's name mentioned? It's like a verse long. The first thing you hear about Joseph is this. Joseph returned from being with his brothers and went to dad and gave a bad report about them. End of sentence, end of scene, and then it completely changes and goes to the next scene. And dad made a special coat for Joseph to wear. And it, you know, added fuel to the fire that is brothers became more and more jealous. For you to understand Genesis 50, I think you should go back. And what's really crazy is to start with a verse like that. You say, Lord, why did you put that in there? It's this one-liner about Joseph. The first and only thing you learn about him 
at the very beginning is that Joseph came back from being with, with his brothers and he gave a bad report. I don't know what that was. Does he say, hey, dad, those are bad dudes. All those other sons, like they're awful people. And what do you do? What is going on in his heart that he feels like this is great opportunity? They can't defend themselves. I can say what I want. They're miles away, perhaps. This is a shepherding family, right? They've got a long time they've got to spend with those flocks out there. I'm little like baby Joseph, not doing all the big guy stuff with the wolves and the bears and, and everything and protecting the flocks. I get to send a report and just check in on them. And I can come back and say, those guys are trash, Dad. You know, good thing you have me, a respectable son, <laughs> right? Somehow, he, like, plants these seeds. What is that? What, what's moving him? If you want to start this story, you probably have to go back there and realize that Joseph was in a really terrible river, and he was flowing along just fine, not paddling his way out of it. He was in a competition stream. He's a I'm better than you kind of stream, uh, seeking the parents' favor at the expense of my own siblings. That's where Joseph was. Do you think that's a good place to be? He may not be murdering his brothers, but he's certainly putting obstacles in their way of family harmony and blessing. Am I right? And dad, going along with it, giving him the special coat, you're totally right, I agreeing with you. This is a family with some uh, dynamics not to be replicated, okay? You don't follow in these footsteps, sons or dads or daughters or mothers, all right? Don't follow. Those are the first two things we hear in the story of the line of Jacob. Isn't that nuts? And then come Joseph's special dreams where they're out threshing and they're gathering bundles of grain together and Joseph pauses in the work and he has this vision that his sheaf of grain that he just freshly bundled, that it stood upright and all the sheaves of his brothers came and bowed down to him. Hey, uh, I don't think he scratched his head and like stone-faced like, I'm nervous. I had some dream about me. I think he was like, guess what dream I just had? Like my sheaf stood up and yours bowed down. <laughs> and I was already wearing the fancy coat. And then after that, right, there's the same thing with the stars. So this is every line after these initial stories. There's nothing good about God. There's nothing good about God's grace or forgiveness or love or who we are as a people. It's all, and his, dis and his brothers became more and more jealous of him and angry of him to the point where little messenger Joseph going to check on his brothers one more time. You get to this story and they saw him coming from a distance. They saw him a ways off and he says, there he is. That's the favorite. That's the one that our dad loves so much who kind of planted the seeds of all this distress in our family. Let's kill him. And Reuben, the oldest, says, let's not kill him. Well, throw him in a cistern. I've got to run an errand. And Reuben leaves. They throw him in a cistern. Reuben leaves. And then it's the other brothers that are still there. And a caravan walks by. And Brother Judah, in such a loving way, says, Hey, uh, instead of just, you know, letting his bones rot in a cistern, where he can't make money off of that, we can sell him and, like, put money in our pockets off of this. Isn't this great brotherly talk? Right? Instead of killing him, let's at least get money out of it. So they sell him to the, the traders who pass by. And that's the end of that account. 
And so then Joseph goes down and makes his way and he gets all the way to Egypt and you know he's under Potiphar and then there's the Potiphar's wife thing. She tries to go to bed with him and he runs away and he talks about God. Why do I give you that whole background? Not only because it's helpful, because I want you to pay attention to one thing. When Joseph stands in front of his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, we are 40 years away, nearly 40 years away from the let's sell him off for money Judah among the brothers. 40 years. Not only that, but you're like 20 years away from when Joseph made peace with his brothers as the ruler, second in command, like the ruler of all of Egypt next to Pharaoh, and a time of famine in the land after seven good years, right, that Joseph had predicted with Pharaoh. Sorry, you got to read all the rest of the middle stuff. But so the brothers come down to Egypt. They don't recognize Joseph, and he makes peace with them eventually. When he reveals himself to them, they weep together. They hug it out. They, he says, I, I forgive you. Don't be afraid. Live here. Go get dad. Go get the whole family and all of Egypt, like open arms to the family of Jacob, and they go and they live there for 20 years. And then Jacob dies, and it's like, PTSD for the brothers. This trauma of everything dad was with Joseph, what if it's still there? What if he's just been burying it down in his heart and holding a grudge and that Joseph is floating down the river of revenge and he can't wait to get us back this great debt. We are the guys who sold him off. He's at all this, got all this power at his fingertips. He can do it with us whatever he wants and they're sweating it out. 40 years after the original incident and they're as nervous as if it had happened yesterday. What river is Joseph in? And what amazes you is how off of his lips one more time after 20 years of being a family again, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Joseph is not in that river at all and make sure they know. The crazy big picture story would teach you something about forgiveness this way. I'm guessing somewhat that Joseph could look at his brothers who had done this great wrong to him and know that they're the same sinners he was. That's why I told you about the first thing we ever learned about Joseph. That he went and basically told his brothers, you know I'm the best one. Is Joseph looking at his brothers who handed him off to slavery and seeing a mirror reflection of his own sinfulness? You put yourselves first at my expense. That's exactly what I did to you way back when. Your just like me. You're just like me. I want to put me first at your expense. You could say that to your neighbor today. You could say that to the person who bugs you so much that they've been an obstacle to your
progress or your identity. They said this about me years ago, and it's still there. It's still there. It's still there. You could look that person. I know you've got names. I know you've got faces. I know you've got track records and debt collection that you're holding on to. You're looking at the receipts like you owe me this, right? Just like the brothers still knew it. Joseph still knew it. But how you deal with it, right? And that's exactly what the first thing you could say is really what I think Joseph learned to say. You're just like me. I'm not any better. Normally, we play the the role of debt collector when somebody makes a mistake or says that about me or does this to my opportunity that I thought might go forward, right? You robbed me of this chance. You took this away from me. You said this about my blah, 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 blah. You got the whole rap sheet, right? And it's a big dollar sign at the bottom of how much somebody owes and you walk around with this. God's word says tear that up. We've got a big problem on our hands. It's called sin. When you see something in somebody else where they're putting themselves first at your expense, you're looking in a mirror. You're looking at a community of people who share that kind of sin. Community means you have it in common. Joseph can say this about his brothers. Say it to them. Would you say it in your heart? Look this so-and-so in your eye. You still remember the bully. You still remember the bothersome coworker. You still remember this or that friend. And it kind of got taught, some bridges burned. You still remember, you still remember. Say it. It's just like me. It's just like me. After Joseph went to Egypt, you could look this up too. Every time he talks, in everything out his mouth, he talks about God. What does he bring up with his brothers 40 years later? The first thing out of his mouth, am I in the place of God? That's a river. My dear brothers and sisters, it couldn't be plainer to you. Can you hear that? He's talking about God. It's a river. It was the river of God's forgiveness for him, and it was the river of God's forgiveness for others. There's something special going on that he had with God who blessed him even though he was thrown in prison, who blessed him even though he was away from home, who blessed him as he names his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He's, he's married and he's got two kids in Egypt and he recognizes, I miss home, but God has also put things in my heart that I can rejoice in. God has done it. This is the Joseph you get to meet every time he talks the rest of Genesis. He is living the story of God's blessings to him, God's care for him, the God God who's got me, the God who forgives me, the God who is with me and blessing my life. It's a story. It's a river. Swim in it. That's for you. That is to occupy your thoughts and your mind and your heart and your attitude. It comes pouring out your eyes and pouring out your fingers and what you see about people and what you do and what you say out of your mouth in their lives because you're so saturated with a story. Every week, we're trying to like, let's remember who we are. Let's remember what we do and what God has been for us. Every single Sunday, this is what we're about bathing ourselves, jumping in, swimsuit and inner tube and all to go down safely, <laughs> down a river of God's love and forgiveness. That's what today is all about. This is the church God wants, something that doesn't know what it's like to swim in those other waters anymore. I have abandoned it because I have God. Why would I go anywhere else or swim in another stream? And that's exactly what 
Joseph is doing? Am I in the place of God? Do you know who God is? Do you know what God has done? Who am I to hold a grudge? He has so changed my focus when I see people. They're just like me. They're just like me. And, and yet, what did God do to me? He saved my life. God saved my life. And that for, forgiveness, merciful love, is married to another truth about God. And I, I wish we had another 20 minutes to talk about this second point. We don't, but I want to bring it up. When Joseph says, am I in the place of God? The next thing he talks about, he says, you intended to harm me. Do you recognize those words? But God intended it for good. And I look back at the story of what they intended to do. It started with kill him, and it became with Reuben's, you know, I can't do this, um, conscience at work. Let's throw him into a cistern because that's so much better. You know, his sort of like delay tactic. And then the caravan that came by, you know, and let's sell him off for money, says Judah. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. That caravan was there that day. Was that random? If that didn't come and Reuben stays gone, do you think they kill their brother? But then there's a caravan. Is it just every five minutes there's a caravan, like the reliable bus that shows up at the train station? Do you think that came by the cistern all the time? I don't know. But that's Joseph's language. You intended to harm me, but you know what God does with evil in the world? He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. You wrestle with this. God either restrains it or he allows it in some fashion and he works it for good. Joseph is looking at his brothers who intended harm. Maybe he doesn't even know that in their hearts they wanted to kill him. He does know they sold him off, but he knows exactly what God does in his life. Roller coaster included. Prison, slavery included all the way up to second in command, who would have thought, that's Joseph. With the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and talk about God, and to, this is saving of many lives, he says. It's the saving of many lives. This story is to be meant as something in your arsenal that you would say, I don't get why God allowed this evil in my life. I don't get why that person still stands when they did this to me. I don't get how their heart still beats if my God knows all things and my God hates wickedness. I don't know why he doesn't stand in for me and throw lightning bolts from heaven on other people's heads. Right? But what is Joseph teaching you? You intended to harm me, but you know whose intentions rule and prevail? God's do. God's intentions rule. You don't have to be the micromanager of God. Are you in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but look at what God has done. All these nations are coming to Egypt for food and they're being fed because I'm here, because a servant of the Lord is here, because God is with his servant to bless. Isn't that crazy? It's one of these great protected care, safety of God, rejoice in it, things you get to live with also your whole life. You are no different. Now you can see some other kind of reflection with Joseph in the mirror. 
some other side, community of cared ones, that this is how God works in our lives. He limits evil. He puts up boundaries, and nobody can cross what God limits. They can't go too far if God does not let it or, find, or know how a way to bless it. Now that's a story, and that's a river. My dear friends, so much, you can hear it in this example of Joseph relates to your everyday relationships and thinking about setbacks in life. All of it does, doesn't it? What river are you in? Hear the word of the Lord. He forgives you all your sins. Hear the word of the Lord. He promises to deliver you ultimately with eternal life. You may not be rescued from every evil attack now in time, but that's because God knows God, your avenger, cares, and someday he will rescue you into eternal life. There's something for you to let go of and just flow with. There's something for you not to control, but to enjoy. Remember it, review it, and God continue to make you the church that he wants quick to forgive. Amen.